Today's date is October 23rd, 2017. Hello and welcome to Hit the Books Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And we're here to give you the saucy deets on everything comics this week. With that, Emery, what are you reading? It's funny you should ask. I am actually currently going through uh a couple of different uh, DC comic series. Uh, I just started the uh, Batman White Knight, which is kind of a whirlwind read, like right out of the gate. Because um, like the the beginning of it's really intriguing, and then the middle of it's kind of bonkers, and then just really dark, and then it ends in a really intriguing way. Hmm. Would you recommend somebody read it? Oh, yeah. Um, I think my recommendation will be stronger after I read the second issue when that comes out. All right. Anything Uh, else? I actually just started uh, the new Nightwing series, uh, Nightwing, The New Order, which is a... Fascist wing. (laughs) This is an Elseworlds tale. Uh, or at least it should be if we had the Elseworlds imprint back. Um, this is a, a what-if story. Like, what if somehow, th- with all of these powers just happening all of the time, uh, Nightwing somehow took it upon himself to eliminate, like, 90% of the powers that these powered individuals were carrying. So he basically takes it upon himself to become the Sentinel program from X Men. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, for those of you watching the television show The Gifted, I'm just gonna say that uh, the next issue has a very reminiscent plot hook. Yeah. So I also read Nightwing: The New Order. <laughs> And I'm I'm kind of disappointed it was Kyle Higgins that wrote it because I thought he had a really nice Nightwing run on the regular uh, continuity. Um, with that being said, I just uh, I, I don't know why DC hates Nightwing. <laughs> <laughs> they always find a way to either kill him, beat him to a fucking pulp. Or when all else fails, make him the asshole. <laughs> and these Elseworld situations pr- primarily. Or put him in a TV show that's not actually going to be on TV. That too, <laughs> yeah. Your streaming app bullshit. <sighs> but uh, the artwork in this book is very good, with the exception of the... <laughs> His the fucking haircut. 70s, 80s, <laughs> semi-mullet <laughs> haircut. Um, like an old school, big, lo- big trouble in Little China, Jack Burton style. But for the writing, I just really think there's some sloppy writing. I think the premise as a whole is not, in any way, shape, or form, what Nightwing has been or is. Yeah, this um, seems like a departure from like what's established as what Nightwing would do. And I feel like. If you're going to choose any of the Bat children to, to use this premise with, I feel like Nightwing would be the last one to use this premise with. I think he would he has be been like sexually and romantically involved with several superpowered characters, uh, he, <laughs> and in this book has an even deeper connection to said 
super powered character. <laughs> Starfire, we're looking at you. <laughs> and uh, I feel like it's just a really lazy plot device to write more bat fascist propaganda (laughs) as i like to call it because everything in the dc universe right now is revolving around batman being evil in some fashion not necessarily batman himself but the bat robots the bat security (laughs) um another book i picked up which uh was a comic of the week i think uh two weeks ago uh Gotham City Garage, <laughs> which uh, has pretty cool cover art based on the the statue collectibles they made. Um, even that has the bat evil robot things hunting down people. What is happening and, right now, DC? Uh, murdering a specific <laughs> bat character in an Elseworld story. Uh, more on that soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just I'm not digging the premise. Uh, I feel like if you had chosen a different character, maybe you could work something out. Or if you had made it with Batman himself, who does kind of drift to these areas and often interacts with characters like Superman. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be more appropriate. Yeah, Saying, or more you know, poignant. Something more similar to the Tower of Babel series, you know, where yeah. Batman very much <laughs> showed that he's a paranoid, you know superpower fearing individual who would do something like this not nightwing nightwing's always been the one who kind of sympathizes with the other character and unites them in some way you know and builds those bridges he does he's not the one tearing them down yeah no the kind of typical twist that comes you know (laughs) oh no somebody (laughs) close to him has the power and now He's got to face the problem he created. Oh, and oh. now he's going to redeem himself probably in some way. Yeah. And then he'll be the real Nightwing. But all the events that led up to it, <laughs> including him fighting with uh, a mentor <laughs> over it. Yeah. Uh, it's just not Nightwing at all. If anything, it sounds like Jason Todd in a lot of these aspects. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Like, of all again, of all the people they could have done the story with. I feel like this would have worked with Damien. This probably would have worked with Todd. Probably would have worked with Bruce Wayne himself. Yeah, not, uh, not Dick or Tim. Not Dick. Probably not Tim. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I just feel like the whole premise is, like, flawed from the beginning. And right. I feel like they only use the Nightwing label because people love Nightwing. <laughs> and it'll sell more comics if they use Nightwing instead of another character. Yeah, it, it, I think one of the things that I'm starting to get from this is that there's a pattern that I'm seeing from DC in regards to Nightwing. Readers love him. Comic book writers love to shit on him. They really do, though. <laughs> I don't understand why. And it's written by a person who wrote a pretty decent Nightwing. Yeah. You know, story in the New 52. And I just, I don't understand why he, of all people, would go along with drafting this story. Uh, I don't know if there's multiple writers or if he's the exclusive writer for it. But it was just, it makes me sad because I, I had so much confidence in Higgins' ability to write Nightwing. Yeah, it... it... Going back to the very first way that you described this, this, while it seems intriguing as far as, like, I wonder how this is going to end, is this really going to go, like, full X-Men, where he's just, like, 
oh, powered people are on the run, and now I have to be the the talking point for powered people that I managed to convince myself needed to be put away and drugged regularly. Yeah. What? Yeah, nothing about this is Nightwing at all. I mean... <laughs> They put one thing that might be his turn to the dark side moment where somebody important dies, but it was... <laughs> nothing about this is Nightwing. I don't, none of this is Dick Grayson to me, and I just think it's so ridiculous. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's not even like he was like this from the start. They very much assert that everything prior to these events led to him being the Nightwing we know and love. Yeah. Including his romantic involvements. Yeah. (laughs) So nothing about him was different in the origin story. It's just he went in a totally different, nonsensical direction. Right. And I don't understand how he got this much power. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many people (laughs) agreed to this. Like, (laughs) this just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And somehow... He manages to affect the entire world, even though his laws and doctrine are only valid in the United States, as stated in the comic. So there's already plot holes forming. Right. And, yeah, there's, I, I don't know what to think of it. I, I might read one or two more, because I love Higgins, and you obviously introduced it to me, so. Yeah. I owe it that much, I guess, but I am not. <laughs> the, the premise by itself is just so lazy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know what DC's obsession with evil bat things is with, you know, the metal run that's going on right now where it's a super-powered evil bat <laughs> for every different version of the Justice League. There's the evil, evil security people that are dressed like Batman in this book and Gotham Garage. There's the <laughs> evil bat robots being controlled by... An, Evil Batman controlled by Lex Luthor. <laughs> hey, we gotta make all of our characters evil. We gotta make all of them evil. I don't know. <laughs> I have nothing wrong with making Batman the villain instead of, say, uh, Superman. But when they do it with Batman, it's just it's harder to buy into it because with Superman, he could flip like that. Right. There's nothing you could do to stop him because he is super powered. I mean, there's <laughs> unless you have someone as smart as Batman to try to counter him. There's actually or someone as powerful. <laughs> there's actually a really good Elseworlds story, which you probably know about. Uh, Superman, Red Sun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I think was probably the perfect story, Elseworlds story, of Superman landing in a place that would make him, according to anyone who's capitalist, a a, a very particular kind of evil, and. It, yeah, it was like that that story was well done. It's unfortunate that we seem to take another very political route with a beloved character and yeah. make him it's just like not even communist this time, just full on fascist. Yeah, and it just doesn't make sense. I don't know. It just doesn't <laughs> I mean I don't know. It just doesn't if it, it doesn't was, fit I could Nightwing. Ma- I could buy it with Bruce Wayne, maybe. If something calamitous happened and he just just it just it was the last straw for him and he just had to do something this should have been the red hood this should have been jason Jason todd Todd. especially yeah yeah jason todd or damien even damien i think damien would be a great candidate because he has you know rachel ghoul's entire roster (laughs) oh yeah to exploit you know uh but yeah anything else you've been reading uh there is actually a 
video game tie-in comic that I just picked up. Uh, Warframe. That free-to-play game? Yes. Uh, Free-to-play game that, for all intents and purposes, should not have done nearly as well as it has done. But somehow, with its model, it stood the test of time and has made its way into the comic book industry. And they only have one issue out right now. And I'm going to say they keep things delightfully vague. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Like the premise is that in the far distant, far flung future that somehow still has us in our basic solar system. Um, there, it, there are a number of factions throughout uh, the solar system that are like vying for materials and like trying to impose rule of some kind. And kind of out of nowhere come these weird space ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> these weird space ninjas that get deployed to wherever the fuck they're needed. And, like, the first issue starts with the the captain of this, uh, like, warrior race of, like, clone people called the Grenier. And it's just him bullying a village. And then, for some reason, one of these Warframes shows up and just starts wrecking face. So who's publishing this right now? Uh, Top Cow actually top cow all right yeah small publisher it's cool yeah this is the first time i've seen like anything from them other than another video game related title like were they the ones doing tomb raider i think they were might be yeah i think we saw a cover on there on the list last week yeah yeah it sounds about right but yeah the the plot points that i gave you it's basically it for this first issue it's very it's very vague what the overarching like story or theme is going to be here and uh, it's basically a, a silent hero saving the day kind of killing a bunch of nasty looking space marines looks like <laughs> yeah there's been a few uh pretty good video game kind of tie-in comics um two that i can think of off the top of my head i think they were both done by i want to say titan publishing i'm not sure i think Mm. they were both titan i might be wrong but uh there's the assassin's creed tie-in comics that were pretty cool it was it kind of followed like a modern day uh assassin in this world and if you're familiar with the assassin's creed games at least the first three or four as long as it's um, not Desmond. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think their biggest mistake was, spoiler alert for a 10-year-old game, killing Desmond in, in the third game. Uh, uh, yeah. that was Because then they had nothing to go on, and they just, they just went off in their own merry world and just 
<laughs> did their own thing and nothing Let, made sense anymore. Let's just keep exploring the past at least and Desmond, never do anything in the current day. Yeah, don't explain anything that happened. Because <laughs> at the end of the third game, there's some serious consequences to what happens and none of it is reflected in the following three or four games. So. Yeah, it's like there are like minor hints here and there, but it's all like... All of the other games, when they get to like the modern world, they seem like side stories. Yeah, it's it's. it's I mean, I wouldn't even call it a side story. It's <laughs> like uh, <laughs> go through a uh, computer files simulator <laughs> and see if you can find some clues for the next game. <laughs> That's it. Every once in a while, they'll drop one piece just to keep you strung along. But I really think they didn't anticipate going this long. <laughs> yeah. They just planned on ending it, and they made a big mistake by killing Desmond because now they have nothing to keep anything yeah. grounded or attached to the yeah. present at the, all. Yeah, there's no anchor so now all the stories just seem kind of randomly placed and like it's cool that they go to the past now but there's literally no reason to go to the past <laughs> whereas the first few games there was actually a reason they were going into the past and looking at their past right now it's just like let's explore a place yeah you know? let's explore bumfuck egypt but the the comic was very good because it gave a reason <laughs> to these exploits once again you know uh, and one of them even explored like the Templar Templar narrative, which is pretty cool. Another one I can think of is the Dragon Age comics, which ah. I, I want to say they were also from Titan. They might have been IDW or Image, though I'm not sure. I have a few copies upstairs, but um, I I love that run too. And the artwork for the Dragon Age ones were awesome. They have beautiful artwork on the Dragon Age covers. That's one of the reasons I picked them up. And I've only played. Uh, I want to say the third Dragon Age. I wish I could remember which one. Awakening, maybe. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, I, I, the third one you said? Yeah, I think it's the third one. Uh, Inquisition. Inquisition. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Inquisition's the only one I played, and I really enjoyed it. Didn't finish it because you know it, I, I had it, shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a big game. It seemed like they had a really cool world to build from, and uh, the comic took that and exploited it to the max and i think they did a good job with it uh i don't know if it ever finished because uh i got busy once again <laughs> yeah but the comics were good and they have beautiful artwork so there's some pretty good video game adaptations out there if you're willing to search for them yeah i i, I would agree with that uh i remember actually like looking at the the artwork for dragon age like their comic and yeah like <laughs> If the the people behind Dragon Age and behind their comics ha have proven anything, it's that they know how to make something look real pretty. <laughs> yeah, so definitely look out for those. Um, I, I apologize, folks, if I'm talking a little too quietly. My th I've been dealing with tonsillitis for a little while, so my throat's really killing me. Um, did you read anything else in particular? Uh, no, that was it for me. Well, I actually had time to read comics now since everything's finished. So Hooray! I actually got to go through a few, including not only our cover of the week for the week before, but also the cover of the week from last week. Hey! Maestros from Image Comics. You can see here. Uh, 
Uh, I think this is the time to introduce our new segment. What do you think? I think this is the perfect time. Well, we decided we're going to start a new segment now that everything's up and running. Uh, I think we should call it, Did the Content Match the Drapes? Sounds pretty solid to me. (laughs) (laughs) This is our review segment where we review the content inside the variant and cover of the week uh, from the previous week, if we can get a hold of them and if we can get caught up on them. Because some of them are like issue 48 and we're clearly not going to (laughs) spend that much money in one week to try to catch up on everything. Right. But in this case, it worked out great because they're both number ones. Hey! We'll start with Maestro's. Uh, Maestro. Th- I lent this to you to read uh, <laughs> because I simply had to. <laughs> um, Maestro's is a very unique book. It is to a, say the least. It is a very adult <laughs> book. Oh, again, to say the least. I would not recommend any parent allow their child to read this. No, uh, like n- up to a generous age, <laughs> <laughs> unless you're totally cool with it- your. Your child seeing uh, penis. <laughs> Not only penis, but growing magical penis. Oh, sweet Jesus. Um, <laughs> y- yeah. Uh, the penis is real. Uh, <laughs> various forms of cursing, of course. Nudity. Uh, sexual acts. And uh, just uh, very awkward <laughs> but hilarious situations. I was going um, to say that this belonged on HBO. No, it has a <laughs> it has an erect penis. It, it, uh, <laughs> it literally has an erect penis, <laughs> um, and not in the context you would hope. <laughs> God. Oh, and there's also plenty of gore. Oh, and, uh, yeah, it's like mashed up bodies and it, it, things like this. So fucking body horror is basically like every type strewn of... <laughs> throughout this thing. Yeah, <laughs> every type of adult warning you could possibly conceive is in this book. Again, uh, image, keep doing what you're doing. We love you. <laughs> I didn't know whether to hate this book or love this book as I was going through it. Um, it has a unique art style in that it doesn't use the frames that a typical comic uses. Yeah. Uh, there's a few in there, I think, but it really, there wasn't too much to cry or whine about. I, yeah. It, it, the paneling, personally, I, I, it seemed very... How do I put this? The paneling was done so well that I barely noticed the paneling at all. Yeah, and there were several giant pages where it was just a giant feast for the eyes where the artist just went to town in this kind of unique setting. And this, don't worry, this is the first page, so you're not having anything spoiled by seeing it. And also, um, it doesn't have the penis on it. <laughs> <laughs> also true. I'm sure there's one hidden in there somewhere. Let's face it. But, um... Yeah, it's a it's a cool book. It's a little interesting. It's like I'm not sure if we're supposed to take any of it seriously, but it is. <laughs> there are big consequences going on. This sort of, I guess, greater demon type character has come to the world of what is essentially God in this universe. Yeah, or the maestro, <laughs> and 
is very like origin of the universe yeah, type des- shit. Decide this isn't spoilers because it happens literally in the first two pages and kills everybody and everything in this little realm, including the maestro and all his wives and <laughs> <laughs> all his henchmen and all these other things and his armies, whatever else, and says he's going after the main character. Uh, and any other magic users, so he can take over this realm and universe and whatever else. Earth is a separate place where uh, the original maestro created a world uh, where they could have an existence without magic, and they it's a hands-off approach where they just watch and they see Earth and the rest of that universe develop into you know living, breathing humans of today and evolve you know millennia (laughs) yeah on and on and on and then at some point magic breaks out in the earthly realm and this leads to several incidents that lead to the creation of our main character who is a sleazy good for nothing who (laughs) exploits his magical abilities for a profit and (laughs) blowjobs and uh he's kind of he sounds pretty American. He's kind of got that sleazy Constantine vibe to him a little bit, but with a lot more insecurity. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This would be like if Constantine... <laughs> this would be like if Constantine decided to go full douche. Yeah. Um. So that's how that is. I definitely recommend you go pick it up. It's, again, Maestro's... If you are at least 18. Comic. Yeah. <laughs> and in this case, the content does indeed match the drapes. Yes, it does. Um, unfortunately, I can't say as much for the cover of the week from the week prior. Gotham City Garage, uh, again, as it states clearly on the cover, based on the DC collectible statues. And <laughs> while artistically it looks cool on the outside, the inside is not oh. good at all. The artwork is awful <laughs> and lazy and quickly drawn and just feels like this was rushed out the door. Yeah. Uh, and shame on me because I, bo- I bought the variant cover of it too because, again, uh, ladies on motorcycles, <laughs> superheroines on motorcycles, I can't resist. Y- yeah. And I'm a the... sucker and I bought the first issues. I will probably not buy the second issues unless they can really sell me on the cover art. Yeah, that is literally the only thing I'm going to use it for. (laughs) Um, The premise, I I feel like the premise of the story might have been cool if they had explained things (laughs) at all. (laughs) But literally, you're just thrown into this universe, and it's an alternate universe, and it's kind of like... um, Oh, what's that... What's Thunderdome? What am I thinking of? Mad Max? Mad Max. It's, yeah. it's, it's like Mad Max with biker chicks <laughs> in the okay. desert outside of a big dome <laughs> where Lex Luthor Aww. and Bruce Wayne have a, made a evil bat army and have disallowed superpowers. And the Aww. dome it features a red <laughs> sun, so anybody who's Kryptonian, I'm assuming, would not be powered. Of course. And the the of premise course. the premise of the book is that for some reason 
people want to kill her. <laughs> um, and the, <laughs> to give you the hint, her name is Kara Gordon. She is the adopted daughter of Commissioner Gordon, who is, in this case, the programmer of all the bat robots. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently everybody has some kind of chip in their brain that makes them behave a certain way. And she has a job because of her dad, like, controlling them. And then... Oh. Because she helps one person fix his programming before the bat robots kill him, they decide to attack her. And again, nothing is explained, and the person that attacks her is Batman and tries to kill her. What? And Gordon Dad says, Smash out. There's more on the outside. You'll understand. And she, she goes, But why? And he goes, fuck it go <laughs> and so she's like all right i'm just gonna break out of my home that i've lived in my entire life yeah and so she smashes out of this thing and ends up in this desert area and um there's <laughs> it's basically a biker gang made up of different superhero characters who are not actually superheroes they're just people that dress weird <laughs> and it really is just mad max with biker heroines sort of because the only one that has powers is the main character kara gordon of of course which she discovers upon breaking out of this dome thing like oh i've been under this red sun this whole time wait i feel pretty super wait my name's kara (gasps) yeah while the cover (laughs) art is cool the internal art is not good it's it's it feels very rushed and the premise and the writing and the dialogue especially is just really cringeworthy and really awful. The, and the story sounds I like don't, I don't know if they're... Garbage. Re- yeah, it does. It, oh. it, it really feels just like a cash-in. I don't know <laughs> for what it is. I don't... To be fair, I think this is the best we can expect from a comic book series literally based on models? Yeah, I I feel like you could in, take inspiration. I I I feel like I could write something better than what I just read. You know, I, I have no <laughs> I have no literary credits to my name beyond like articles, <laughs> right? Um, still, but that was <sighs> oh, it was so cringeworthy. And I I I think the the premise they were trying to go for was probably pretty decent. It was workable, but. The way it was executed was just really bad <laughs> and really poorly done and uh, extremely rushed for sure. Um, yeah. So do not pick this book up. Uh, maybe they'll improve with a second book. We'll see if their cover is good enough for me to buy it <laughs> again. Right. But I no, <laughs> it was not good. Do not recommend. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about that I've read. Uh, I've done a little catching up with other books uh, that I still need to rebirth and all that stuff. So finally getting caught up on everything now that everything's ready. <laughs> and um, without further ado, let's get into the news. All right. Our first news item. Uh, and we apologize, folks, that there weren't too many news items to speak of this week because all the movies come out next week and the week after so yeah kind of sifting through uh i i'd say needle in a haystack but this is a needle in a stack of needles yeah and again it's the end of the year so every comic book line is pretty much wrapping up and yeah about to start their new thing after their holiday specials and stuff like that so 
There won't be a whole lot of news to talk about beyond movie releases for the next few weeks. But, but we will keep we'll, we'll we'll keep finding the the goods. <laughs> we'll keep you up to date. Oh yeah. Uh, first up, Liam Sharp has teased a new comic that is expected to debut in February 2018 with uh, new inked images that are pretty cool and got featured on a museum display recently. Oh. Um, the main one features a kind of grizzly looking old man. Kind of looks like the dad from Shameless. <laughs> um, Brilliant. <laughs> missing a tooth or two and uh, leaning on his cane. It has a lot of kind of like those vine, what are those called? Those uh, hangers or whatever for the vines, kind of swirly designs. Oh, yeah. Um, it kind of gives me kind of fantasy Tolkien-ish ideas. And he's... He's worked on uh, Wonder Woman recently, most recently, and he's written uh, God Killers and stuff like that. So I'm guessing this is going to be some kind of next plane, God-related something or other. Some kind of high fantasy, if not like a DC comic Wonder Woman universe thing. Sounds worth looking into. But yeah, the art looks awesome. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, hopefully... uh, it's worth the hype. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the first time I've actually seen like a teaser for a comic. <laughs> yeah, that's usually a not a thing. Uh, specifically artwork with no like actual premise or name to it. So Yeah. We'll see how it works out. Uh, it's pretty cool, though. Uh, next on the docket, we have The CW adapting Project 13 into another DC television series. Uh, are you familiar with Project 13? Not really. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's not something that's been exploited too much in DC Comics, but Project 13 is about this woman who is essentially a detective, sort of, with her dad. Uh, She has psychic abilities that develop when she becomes an adult. Yeah. And her dad, who researches the occult and stuff like this, uh, uh, teams up with her in adulthood to investigate the supernatural and paranormal and stuff. And she mm. makes appearances in Constantine every once in a while, especially when it was still Vertigo. Um, yeah. Uh, I think she originally came from Star Spangled Comics, but I'm not sure. It's something like that. But I I honestly haven't seen her in a series since, like, the early 2000s. So I don't know if she's made other appearances, but I it's been a while, and I am I was kind of surprised when they announced that. Um kind of like out of nowhere like we're gonna use this character which so you won't bring back constantine hashtag save constantine hashtag save constantine but you'll start another supernatural project on the cw right what in the we have constantine guest starting on you know uh was it legends of tomorrow um but (laughs) we've had him on the arrow but we're not going to give him his own show what the fuck? <laughs> Give Matt Ryan his show back. Please. He was so good. But um, if they do adapt this, it should be good. I feel like they're going to play with the dad dynamic a lot because from what I remember, I don't think she grows up with her dad. I think she just kind of like runs into her dad because he's researching the paranormal. Yeah. And then her psychic abilities, you know, catches attention or something. Uh, so I'm sure it's going to be a lot of CW-esque <laughs> family soap drama. <laughs> it, it makes me think of 
the other supernatural show that's just called Supernatural, uh, but with, you know, psychic powers. Also, dad detective psychic <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, could, could Could we maybe just also have Constantine show up there so we can maybe give him another season? <laughs> Hashtag save Constantine. Save Constantine. Um. But yeah, that, if if that uh, gets finished and approved and casted, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, I love that CW is actually going towards you know developing these lesser known characters. Um, finally, uh, I mean, I zombies on yeah. CW also, right? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, L- loosely based on a graphic novel that uh, I believe was a part of Vertigo's imprint. And yeah, it like because Vertigo is owned by DC. Uh, yeah, that's technically a DC show. Uh, it, when I say like loosely adapted, I mean the concept of the main character being a zombie and having a job that lets them eat brains without anyone, you know, saying, "Oh my God, it's a zombie! Kill it!" That, that's <laughs> basically all we're getting. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's cool that they're bringing attention to these lesser-known books and stuff, though. Uh, Oh, yeah. We'll see how it turns out. I do wish this was Constantine instead of Project 13, and we could just have Constantine meeting Project 13 along the way, like he has in the books. But, you know, it is what it is. Good luck to Project 13 and its uh, development. Hashtag save Constantine. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have... New York City Comic Con has broken its own records and sold a record 200,000 tickets. To give you perspective on this, San Diego Comic Con, which usually gets the most attention, sells an average of 130,000 tickets every year. Really? So that is a big difference. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Holy bring shit. Bring up my subject for discussion later. Tease, tease about what is the true home of comic books. Mm. And uh, as most people know, both Marvel and DC moved to Los Angeles, specifically the Hollywood area, probably because of its movie productions. Um, Yeah, wanting to be closer to the actual studios. Marvel left first, and then DC followed suit about five or six years later, I think. Um, not too long ago, about three years ago now, um, and kind of abandoned its lifelong post in New York City. And yeah, uh, I'll go more into it on the subject, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that even though the companies had left town essentially, and many of the biggest and most legacy comic book stores uh, had left New York City, or at the very least, you know, closed down temporarily. Uh, New York City Comic Con was still attracting so many people, and I, I'm sure there's something to be said about, um, you know, the population of New York City and how many people actually live on the East Coast and the Midwest, you know, in places that can e- easily reach New York City, yeah. as opposed to San Diego, which is close to L.A., and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of in the middle of the desert and focus more on Hollywood and glamorous things and say your everyday comic book where New York City Comic Con focuses a little bit more on the artists and the writers and uh yeah the comics themselves so 
Uh, shout out to New York City Comic Con. That's awesome. Um, another little news docket is that the people that put on the New York City Comic Con are actually trying to expand uh, their UK brand and have purchased some cons in the UK. So. Nice. We may see more uh, New York City Comic Con style cons throughout the world, not only in New York City and in lesser cons throughout the United States. So, shout out to New York City Comic Con. And that, my friends, is the news. And... So, as we ask every time we get together, Chris, this week... What books are we going to be hitting? Well, Emery, I thought you'd never fucking ask. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I made you wait for it, didn't I? Oh, you made me wait. (laughs) So much waiting. (laughs) It's like, uh... Oh, so here are your new releases for the week. We got plenty of them, so hold on to your seats, folks. Oh, man. Try to get through these as quick as I can. Yeah, we got quite a few this time around. From Marvel Comics, we have all-new Wolverine, number 26, Legacy. We have America, number 8, Legacy. We have Ben <laughs> Riley, the Scarlet Spider, number 9. We have Black Panther, number 166, Legacy. <laughs> we have Captain Marvel, number 125, Legacy. <laughs> We have Daredevil, number 28. Normal comic! Hooray! (laughs) Uh, We have Guardians of the Galaxy, the Telltale series, number four. Uh, I still need to play through those, so I'll give you my reviews of those before too long. We have Jean Grey, number eight. Legacy. (laughs) We, We have Moon Girl and the Devil Dinosaur, number 24. We have Punisher, the Platoon, number two. Normal comic. <laughs> I was making a Platoon reference there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... <laughs> <sighs> or Tropic Thunder, depending on what you want to go with. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest comedies of all time. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. Um, Silver Surfer, number 14. It's good to see old Silver Surfer doing his thing. Oh, yeah, I'd nearly forgotten about him. We have another Star Wars comic that has a name that is way too long. Star Wars, Mace Windu, Jedi Jedi of the Republic, number three. Uh, (laughs) Fucking nerds. Just call it Mace Windu and shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) We have Thanos, number 12, holding the Phoenix power. We have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 790. This might be another subject for later, but it's such a small discussion topic, I'm going to bring it up right now. (laughs) I get that they're trying to pacify classic comic fans by going back to the original numberings for a lot of comics, both DC and Marvel. But it's like, it's the most daunting thing for a newcomer to look at a comic series that he wants to read and seeing a number in the hundreds. (laughs) Or seeing a comic that he wants to read and seeing a number in the thousands. (laughs) Because then you feel like you have to catch up on all of it Uh, to get into the current line, which is not true at all. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Please don't think that, fans. And uh, for you traditional al- traditionalists out there, I understand. I get it. I'm one of those people on more occasions than one. But in this situation specifically, it really hurts the brand for newcomers. It, yeah. And it will scare people away. <laughs> it scared me away from coming back to comics for so long. And I knew what I was getting into. It's like Thor number 700. It, it gives people no context for where they need to start on this run. You know, right. Do I need to go back 12 issues? Do I need to go back five issues? Am I going to be jumping the gun and hopping into the end of spoiler of the previous run? Where do I get to start when you had the new reboots, you know, numbering with new 52 and Marvel and Marvel now and all that stuff. <laughs> At least people had a starting point and they knew where they had to begin. Right. They wanted to go to the back catalog and comiXology or look up the books and, you know, the backlogs of their local comic book shops you know um stop doing this please <laughs> uh, you're scaring your customers away you could uh, the, the thing that kills me about this is that it this increasingly inconsistent take on the numbering is starting to throw everyone off yeah it, going back and forth alone is throwing even the most <laughs> dedicated of comic fans off including us yeah i've been confused on more than one occasion especially with dc's rebirth I'm like issue 964 what the fuck last week it was <laughs> issue eight <laughs> did i miss something am i is this a totally different run that i'm just not prepared for yeah um, so uh, it's just confusing it's like this You're is scaring your customers dc and marvel th- this is the kind of thing that makes a person wait for an entire graphic novel to be released. Which is not what the comic industry wants. They want people to buy each individual issue. Yeah, and you're you're killing your comic shops, you're killing your business. I mean, even if you release the volumes, if your volume says number 974 to number 986, nobody's going to pick it up because they're going to be like, well, fuck, do I have to read all the other 900 issues to figure out what's going on? Am I going to be totally lost? How many Uh, reboots am I going to end up reading? And you would like to say that the easy answer is no, but it's not (laughs) because you might be lost because there might be two other runs before this that are integrated into this. That starts at 870. (laughs) Right. You don't know. It, it, It could also be... Yeah, we're keeping the numbering, but for some weird reason, we're rebooting the whole thing again. Yeah, which is what's (laughs) happening. So that was my little tangent. Again, this is The Amazing Spider-Man number 790. (sighs) Killing us. It, there's simple solutions. Like it's, it's not any one thing that like hurts these companies' sales. It's death by a thousand nails <laughs> by a thousand pinpricks. You know, yeah. Just little things that you could just if you could stop doing. You're making good moves with the lowering of the costs and releasing two issues of your most popular lines and clearing more of the cover. Like, look at this. Gotham has taken our advice, whether they knew it or not. And they got rid of the big blue banner that's on top. Not on all their comics, but on a lot of them. Yeah. And now I can actually see the cover art. They still have the barcode on the front. They have reduced it, but it's still on the front. <laughs> you could put this on the back. Make the names bigger if you want, you know. Um, just small things, you know. 
could really help the brand. Did you? I mean, did you really need to put this giant gear in the middle of the cover art, <laughs> <laughs> saying that it was based on the DC statues? <sighs> I don't think so. Take a you know page out of Images books, where they literally don't have the barcode on the front, and the numbering is very small and very you know discreet. You have the pricing on the front too, and it's so discreet you don't even notice. Look yeah. at that! It's perfect barcode on the back. Where it belongs. Wow. What a concept. <laughs> Image, keep doing what you're doing. Image, we love you. <laughs> 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 All right. Now that I got another tangent out of the way. Uh, I don't know if I read this one, but I'm going to read it again. The Despicable Deadpool, number 288, Legacy. Uh. The Punisher, number 17. Thor, Where Walk the Frost Giants, number 1. Um, U.S. Avengers. Wait for it. Legacy. <laughs> Weapon X, <laughs> number 10. And finally, X-Men Blue, number 14. Legacy. <laughs> Had to get one more in. Couldn't let us have the last word. God damn it. <laughs> From IDW, we actually have things other than variants. Thank God. Hooray. Uh, we have Black Crown Quarterly, number one, fall 2017. Hey. We have... Oh, I know we had one more in here. Let me find it. There it is. Haunted Horror, number 30. Ooh. We have Popeye Classics, number 63. We have... (laughs) Eat your spinach, folks. That's right. Uh, And that's it for IDW. From DC Comics, we have Batgirl, number 16. We have Batman Beyond, number 13. We have Batman, the Merciless, number one, Metal. Metal. We have Blue Beetle, number 14. Hey, look at Blue Beetle doing his thing. We have DC, House of Horror, number one. We have Detective Comics, number 967. (laughs) Unnecessary. <laughs> Scaring your customers. That's a cool cover, though. Uh, we have Gotham City Garage, number two, and already looking at the cover, I know for sure I am not going to buy the second issue. Uh, it appears this is a weekly issue, so maybe that's why the artwork was so rushed and bad. Yeah. Uh, maybe they were just trying to meet a deadline, and it was just not reasonable. There's only but, one time a weekly issue ever did well. Yeah. Only one. Uh, I mean, the Batman Eternal and um, what was it? Batman Beyond, Future's End. Those series were really, really good. And I don't I don't understand how they kept up with that artwork. Were those weekly? Those were weekly. Holy shit. 52 issues apiece. Ooh. Yeah. And they killed it, man. They did a good job. Uh, speaking of 52, 52. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That, that's a that's an god that's like eight years old now mm-hmm. maybe a little older yeah it was uh. a pre-new 52 yeah <laughs> 52 i'm gonna slap you <laughs> <laughs> uh, you love me and you know it so gotham city garage number two not buying it don't buy it don't do it uh, unless they change something drastically it's not worth it 
Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 31. We have Hellblazer, number 15. We have Justice League of America, number 17. Um, We have Nightwing, the New Order, number 3, with his mullet and (laughs) his fascist ways. (laughs) We have Scooby-Doo Team-Up, number 31. We have Suicide Squad, number 28. We have Teen Titans, number 13. We have The Flash, number 33. I just want to say this about The Flash. I feel like nobody has ever really nailed a Flash cover. I don't know if it's his outfit or if they just always draw the same thing. I think it's mostly the same pose. It's like, let's draw him running really dynamically either towards the reader or like to the right. Yeah. Maybe there are some that I just don't remember, but I really feel like they just struggle so hard to nail a flash <laughs> cover. And I love flash. I don't, I don't, I feel, I, I, I don't know what the solution is, but I feel like no artist has nailed the flash on a cover yet. I, I think there just needs to, here's the thing with the flash His flat his costume is really just a all red bodysuit. Yeah. Which they've been doing that for so long, and there's only so much you can do with uh, basically a guy who runs really, really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, the way to maybe change it up is to, instead of having him doing running poses, uh, pose him in like a, some kind of stopped position. Yeah. Uh, or... Well, do something with his costume. Uh, there've, there've been things that they've tried with his costume. Like let's add more gold and <laughs> add more gold. Yeah. When all else fails, add more lightning, add more lightning, <laughs> lightning everywhere. <laughs> we need more bolts. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, again, I don't, I don't even know what would solve the problem because it's not like you can make him dark and brooding. That's not who the Flash is, but... Yeah, no. I it, just haven't seen a Flash cover that really popped out to me. Um, at least not a main cover. Yeah. Uh, we have the Commandi Challenge, number 10. Uh, for some reason, Tom King has been really pressing this one. I haven't picked it up, so I don't know. But it looks like a kind of Aquaman-like character. I don't know. I mean, he's got he, a trident. Well, he, he's been whatever, uh, a five sickled trident is like a quint dent. A quint dent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, he's the one who's writing Mister Miracle, so uh, I'll give him a shot on this one. Yeah. Uh, we have the Rough and Ready Show number one. We have Wonder Woman number thirty three. I notice they're kind of getting closer and closer to that Gal Gadot version of Wonder Woman, which is fine. It makes sense. She has a good outfit, but yeah, I kind of like how they have they've been having like the cape and like the extra armor and stuff on her. Yeah, instead I... of the bathing suit, <laughs> from... <laughs> classic like, bathing suit, classically worn. Yeah, it's. I think they just need to commit to like a full like girl kratos approach what i really love is her issue number 600 outfit oh yeah which uh is super collectible now because people love that cover but she's wearing like a leather jacket and stuff and like 
basically normal clothes with like her under armor underneath it. But it's it's a really really awesome cover. Huh. Uh, so if you're bored, well, maybe I'll show it to you. I'll show it to you right here. Yeah. Look at the cover on our YouTube channel. Yeah, look at it. Check out our YouTube channel if you're listening to our podcast and uh, like and subscribe so you can see issue <laughs> six hundred. I mean, you could Google it, but why do that when you can listen to half an hour worth of podcast and <laughs> <laughs> and eventually get shown the issue for a, a brief amount of time? Um, <laughs> plug <laughs> nailed it. Stuck the landing. Um, from Image Comics, we have man, they have a lot of variants this week. Um. Outcast number thirty-one. We have Renato Jones season two number four. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. We have Saga number forty-eight, which is a really cool book. Oh yeah! If you haven't read it, you should pick up the trades and read it. We have Southern Cross number thirteen. We have. Violent Love, number nine. And that wraps up Image. Image, keep doing what you're doing. We love you. As we always do. Oh, yeah. Um, From Boom, we have some really good artwork, surprisingly. Hmm. Um, heading up the list is Hi-Fi Fight Club, number three. We have Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, number 20. Go, go, Power Rangers. It's morphin' time! <laughs> Pterodactyl! <laughs> Triceratops! Sandwiches Tiger! <laughs> um, <laughs> I got distracted by that. Now I'm reliving, I'm flashing through childhood memories. It's so easy to do that with a Power Ranger. I'll see if I can find my Power Ranger Halloween costume as a kid that I was like <laughs> a size too small for me because I had worn it for four years straight. Oh, shit. <laughs> you might see it here if I can find it. Hey. Um, <laughs> over the Garden Wall, number 19. We have Sisters of Sorrow, number four. We have Steven Universe, number nine. We have The Destroyer, number six. We have The Power of the Dark Crystal, number eight, which has a really cool cover. Oh, yeah. If you haven't seen Dark Crystal, yeah. If you haven't seen Dark Crystal with uh, Jim Henson's Muppet work, check it out. (laughs) We have The Unsound, number five. We have WWE, number ten. Brother. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah featuring a very familiar uh dark knight Returns style cover <laughs> with the wrestler coming down i don't know like, who the new wrestlers are so apologize to, yeah to that artist uh, guys once the attitude era was gone i was gone sorry um you you guys know this has been done before right <laughs> this cover <laughs> Yeah. Pretty sure they did Batman with this one. I love it. I kind of <laughs> love it. I'm not going to lie. I don't know who this wrestler is, but I dig the cover. <laughs> it's so dynamic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Speaking of dynamic, do, do we have anything from them? New issues? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, looks like... The Shadow Knows. Like Dynamite Entertainment has nothing but variants. Sad day. Oh, we have 
Dark Horse Comics releasing Angel Season 11, number 10. We have BPRD, The Devil You Know, number 3. We have with another pretty cool cover. Yeah. A lot of cool covers coming from the non-Marvel DC world this week. Yeah. Good on you guys. Uh, we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 11, number 12. We have ElfQuest, The Final Quest, number 22. <laughs> quest <laughs> we have final <laughs> another video game tie-in mass effect discovery number four. Oh, although i heard that game got terrible terrible reviews andromeda yeah that was awful we have another pretty cool cover and me being a history buff i kind of dig it hmm. uh we have rebels these free and independent states number eight um, doo, doo, doo. Valiant has failed me again. Nothing but variant covers. Oh no! I love you, Valiant. Why aren't you doing anything? <laughs> Do it things. Take, it takes time to create. Uh, maybe it's just we use FreshComics.us. Full disclosure: great source for your new weekly releases. Um, maybe it's just the way they list them. Maybe maybe they're not variants at all. There seems to be a lot of the same issue. So I think they're all variants. Yeah. Um. From Titan Books, we have The Beautiful Death, number two. From Archie Comics, we have Archie Comics Annual Digest, number 283. We have variants. Any other big releases? Benitez! You've been doing stuff from Benita's Productions. We have Lady Mechanica, The Clockwork Assassin, number three. It's about goddamn time, <laughs> Benita's. <laughs> I love your artwork. I love your covers. I buy every goddamn issue of Lady Mechanica, even if I know I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Benita's is back. But he takes so long to release a single issue. <laughs> I, I understand uh. you're running your own business, and it takes a while, but man. <laughs> just we want more lady mechanica great book if you can find it it's, it's really collectible has really cool artwork kind of steampunky good story inside great it's artwork inside just very well crafted all around so uh even though it means people will be competing with me for the covers <laughs> <laughs> i i highly recommend it uh benitas you gotta you gotta hurry up with the stuff <laughs> hire some staff or something if you can please Ugh. don't Ugh. keep me waiting we need more. From Aftershock Comics, we have Dark Arc, number two, and Fujitsu, number two, with another kind of interesting cover. Interesting. Um, I think, let's see here. Oh, nope. Vertigo has a release this week. Woo! Woot! We have Mother Panic, number 12. And now, I think I finally got them all. So many companies now. They all release like one issue a month <laughs> just to make my life difficult. That is all your releases for the week. Um, it's everything coming to your local comic book shops. Please support your local comic book shops. And digital devices this week. Now it's time to hand out the prestigious, nay life-changing award of cover of the week and variant cover of the week 
Ooh. And remember to tune in next week to see if we can uh, pick up these issues and let you know, does the content match the drapes? Da-da-da. <laughs> Until next time, for that. In the meantime... For our cover of the week, we have The Unsound, number five, drawn by Jack Cole. Now, this one was a positively creepy-looking cover. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> it kind of unhinged me just the, just enough to make it even more interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know what the content includes, but it's just a really, really cool cover from Boom Studios. Uh, done by Jack Cole. It features a woman made of a different array of colorful kind of razors balancing another razor on her tip. Maybe a little emo. Only a little. I don't know. But it's pretty cool. I like it. I, I like how they use the colors in a kind of unique, classy way. Yeah. It's not like too dire, too serious. And it's not too too artsy-fartsy. It's just that right balance of everything. Yeah. So it, um, Just enough to make you take a second look at it and go like, whoa. And, and to be fair, there was a lot of competition outside of Marvel and DC this week for cover of the week. So to went out on covers of the week it's it's pretty spectacular and I, this artwork is it's just really cool as it almost has something kind of um oh uh, what's the cat in the hat guy dr susie about it yeah There's just something about the color scheme and the way it's drawn just kind of reminds me of like if dr seuss had done a serious comic book right it's like it's very pastel like the the type of colors that they chose to use. Yeah, it's it's very unique, very cool. And now on to our variant cover of the week. Another one. The variant is another one from Boom Studios. Hey, we have the Power of the Dark Crystal subscription tech cover drawn by Sena Takeda. Ooh. Hopefully I'm pronouncing her, her first name right. Sana Takeda? Sana Takeda? I don't know. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, but I recognized the artwork immediately <laughs> when we <laughs> yeah. were trying to decide, and I said, no, this is the one. This is that woman that did Monstrous. I know it. I know it. I know it. <laughs> and we looked up the name, and sure enough, it was the artist that did the, the series Monstrous. Yeah, you recognize this immediately. And I want to say that's an image comic. I have the first several issues upstairs, because I... When I saw those on the, they're they're thick books too. They got a lot of content to them. Yeah. Uh, again, Image doing everything that we recommend to the other companies. <laughs> no barcode on the front. Good thick content in the books. Oh yeah. Great cover art. Like you can't ask for much more. Oh yeah. Image, um, keep doing what not you're lazy doing. <laughs> writing. I mean, yes. Oh. Adult subjects. You know. Yeah. Yeah, this like the image has kind of been like that since day one. Yeah, like ever since like Spawn was like, uh, I mean, it, Spawn it, was the first. Image was kind of the brainchild of just all these different artists, including McFarlane and Jim Lee and a bunch of people and writers that just were kind of sick of being constrained by you know the typical authority code for the comics authority code and the typical kind of mainstream childish you know yeah comic lines with dc well, and marvel and well, stuff like let's let's really get into the shit and it's just i don't know if all of them still have a stake in the the company or not but it 
they're still just doing great work over at Image. Um, uh, just <laughs> great job. Uh, back to the cover we're discussing, though. Uh, again, done by Sonic Takeda. Uh, I apologize if I pronounced your name wrong. Uh, just her classic art style, where you just have all these branching kind of flow, you know, sharp flowing uh, pencils in there with just dabs of almost like a watercolor style to the background. And it features a, a knight of some sort with a large sword in the foreground with the crystal behind him and above him and just all these different... It's it, it's more the environment he's in than the character himself that makes the cover pop so much and this art style pop so much. Oh, yeah. Um, Jim so, Lee would be proud. Not Jim Lee. Uh, Jim Henson. <laughs> Getting my Jims mixed up. Yeah. So it it is a really really neat cover and uh, a great contribution <laughs> to an already great original cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you see the original cover, it has a very kind of uh, high fantasy look to it. kind of reminds me of like a lot of the art for the, the older Tolkien releases. You know, yeah. Where it did have that kind of like soft, like, I don't know, child-friendly but still inspiring kind of look to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not quite psychedelic, but very fluid with its colors. But yeah, uh, great job by Sound of Takeda and, and great job by Boom Studios, really. All the artists at Boom Studios, because they had a lot of great covers. And I mean, there's some other ones that we mentioned earlier. And just a lot of great artwork this week, which is <laughs> nice after several <laughs> weeks of kind of ar- underwhelming artwork. Yeah. Um, it's funny that we kind of got hit with all of the good artwork at once this week. Yeah, and I'd love to give more shout-outs, but only one can be the cover of the week, and only one can be the variant cover of the week. There can be only one! So we'll we'll see if we can't pick these up and uh, take a look at them, see what they're all about. Uh, one's a number five, one's a number eight, so we might have some catching up to do. We'll see. Yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, I'll tr- I'll try my best. But yeah, Sana Takeda, you're doing great work. I love your monstrous books. Uh, I think she did some covers for Wayward and stuff too. But uh, yeah, great book if you want to pick it up. All right. Well, for our new friends out there, this is the part of the show where we each discuss a topic over choosing about the world of comics. Um, if you want to join the discussion, comment in, in the comment section of our YouTube videos or you can uh, tweet us at HTBVids on Twitter, or even come to our Facebook at forward slash hit the books and uh, leave us a message and tell us what you think. And we'll be sure to try to get back to you. And if we have enough comments, uh, maybe we'll include you in the next episode. Yeah. At the top of the next episode. With your permission, of course. Of course. Um, Emery, what is your topic? uh my topic this week is going to be a counterpoint to the topic that i had last week last week we had discovered not discovered discussed what makes a hero great like what makes a hero in a comic book setting worth reading about Mm -hmm. 
be sure to check out our last episode if you're interested in that topic. We went into it qu- yeah, <laughs> for quite a while. Uh, yeah, we went very in-depth. Uh, this time around, we're going to discuss what makes what makes a character terrible. What makes a character <laughs> not worth reading? As if we weren't cynical enough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive deep into the cynicism. Oh. So, Emery, what makes a character terrible for you? Uh, what well, makes a character terrible for me, personally, is blandness. And what what would be an example of blandness? An example Maybe of... Maybe a, a character, uh, a run, for example. Squirrel girl. (laughs) (laughs) Squirrel girl? But everybody loves squirrel girl. Do they? Do they? (laughs) Protecting a certain amount of cynicism from you. (laughs) Yeah, the cynicism is strong with this one. (laughs) I don't mind squirrel girl, but I don't... I never really understood why people love it. Uh, I... I can't stand Squirrel Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I uh, I can't stand Squirrel Girl specifically because in her very inception, it's it's very, very clear that she's kind of meant to be a joke. This is not a character that we should be taking serious in any... Shape, form, or fashion. So how is this any different from, say, uh, Howard the Duck or Deadpool or something like that? Uh, Deadpool Deadpool gets away with his antics because he, he brings the ultraviolence. Um, he's got his way with uh, engaging the audience via fourth wall break. Uh, Howard the Duck... He's a duck man. <laughs> Howard the Howard the duck for the longest time didn't get a pass one because of that terrible movie from the late 80s. How how about here's a bit this is a better example. How about the tick? How is squirrel girl different from the tick? <laughs> how is squirrel girl different Just from pl- the tick? Playing devil's advocate here. Squirrel Girl is different from The Tick in that, at the very least, the people who came up with The Tick knew intentionally to keep his character stupid on purpose and to keep his counterpoint, uh, Arthur, uh, the guy with the moth costume, uh, as the the one who's both the voice of reason and the voice of the audience saying, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, this this is a a type of character, speaking of the tick, where to make fun of classic heroes, he, he would just spout off seemingly heroic nonsense. And he would just go off and do his... Heroics from there, and the the rest of the world, including the villains, would react in a reasonable way of like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this guy? 
who who is this guy and why is he actually standing on something like skyscraper ish or like some kind of tall building with his hands at his hips talking to absolutely no one uh these are things where it's like you understand the trope you understand what they're doing with squirrel girl <laughs> with squirrel girl we have her it's not that she's blandly good at everything she's a character that blandly gets away with doing some of the most ridiculous shit like apparently she's beaten dr doom before that that was always intended to be kind of a joke but for some reason they keep bringing it up in any comic where she's brought up uh they then think that oh yeah people are kind of digging squirrel girl and maybe thinking that she's not a joke let's actually write a series for her (laughs) oh god it hurts (laughs) It hurts thinking about this character because this is a character that should have been an obvious spoof. This is a character that should have been nothing more than like a background, oh yeah, look at me, I can be a hero too, type of character that should just, you know, regularly fail. So basically, what you're saying is you hate happiness. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, I, um, I, I, hate, I hate, I hate characters that parade around, or around. They parade around as though they're heroes when they're not. <laughs> Squirrel Girl is not a hero. Squirrel Girl is a person who happens to be in the right place at the right time who manages to not die in whatever situation that she's in, even though she should, given that she just has a fluffy tail and squirrel claws. (laughs) 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 This is is very much a character that, during any kind of heroic escapades that any other hero would go on, she should die. (laughs) It should kill her. But she doesn't because she makes it through because like random things that happen and go her way because Squirrel Girl, yay! <laughs> it, we have characters like that who are, should have been obvious jokes, and then we have characters like the new Spider-Man, Miles Morales. <laughs> So, basically, I think what you're getting at for this first example of characters and what makes a character bad is just not making sense. No. Yeah, well, yes. Within yeah. the context, at least. Yeah, within the context, uh, the the character does not make sense. Literally does not make sense. Another reason why some characters are terrible Poor writing and or writing that never seems to remain consistent. And for that, I'm looking to the Miles Morales Spider-Man, one of the 
greatest victims of the latest secret war. This was a character in what was formerly Marvel's Ultimate Universe, somehow managed to, over the course of a story that was just supposed to destroy the Ultimate Universe and just bring any and all characters that people liked from that universe over to just regular Marvel. It sounds a little familiar. Uh, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about characters fitting this description for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one, Miles Morales, is a character who's blandly good or blandly competent at what he's supposed to do, which is be a hero, I guess. <laughs> vaguely beat up on bad dudes while wearing a new darker spider costume do a kid thing from time to time y- yeah uh, pretty much uh, the thing that's a problem with this character is that that's it <laughs> he Not doesn't start <laughs> <laughs> he, he he doesn't have any struggle he doesn't have any like he he doesn't have anything that makes him interesting this is it's looking at this miles morales character that kind of makes me think that uh miles morales uh route with the spider-man homecoming movie check out our review Check out our we, review we on that. We talk about this at length. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, as much as that story, in a lot of ways, should have gone to Miles Morales, looking back on Miles Morales as a whole and the way that he's been written, mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't. Even but, though it's kind of a Morales story. Yeah. As, it, as you stated. Oh, yeah. And, like, and you're not wrong. Yeah. Um <laughs> The reason why I'm glad it's Peter Parker is because at least Peter Parker still gets the struggle of being poor and all of the effects therein. Hashtag the struggle is real. Hashtag the struggle is real. Um, (laughs) For Miles Morales, uh, charter school dorm room kid who never really has to deal with really anything negative. I mean, he, he still has both of his parents. In the Ultimate uh, Universe, I think he lost one of them, but then got them back. Okay. (laughs) Convenient. (laughs) Convenient. Um, uh, As a hero, he consistently succeeds at almost everything that he does. Like, he never screws up or fails or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think this is a big problem with a lot of the newer characters, especially from Marvel. Yeah. Um, I just saw another article. I, I wish I could remember what it was from, maybe a CBR or something, but about uh, basically the Marvel execs kind of patting themselves on the back for addressing diversity in their comics <laughs> this past year. And I just kind of had to cringe a little bit because 
we've talked about this when going through the the new releases list the, the past several weeks. Yeah, oh, I don't know which ones got lost and which ones didn't because of uh, file corruption. But <laughs> <laughs> there was a handful uh, where you just have these characters that are, if not outright a different racial group or different religious group or different sexual identity of a or different sex of a already existing prior existing comic character that has no struggles that (laughs) is already good at everything that the main (laughs) character does if not better and does not fail ever (laughs) um it's like, did these guys forget how to write? I think some examples are the the Iron Man or Iron Woman. Oh, I don't remember what they're called in the book the, now. The most egregious offender uh, of this you, thing. The, based on your description of that, that I that was the first one that popped in my mind. Ree um, Ree Williams. We have the America book where you have this woman coming from a weird dimension where everybody's a woman and everybody's strong and capable and this and that and has no struggle and then she comes to our world and continues to have no struggles whatsoever (laughs) Um, she comes from weird lesbo utopia um, and she comes from there to our world and manages to not only consistently succeed in for some reason still not know how to be a spanish person um <laughs> she, she 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 never fails at anything yeah she, the, the, she, like there's nothing wrong with this character mm-hmm. and I, there's I, nothing interesting I, with this character and there's something similar with kind of miss marvel to an extent you know the the middle eastern younger version right um, it's stretchy um <laughs> There's Why just... is she not n- new Miss Fantastic? I don't get it. Why does she have to be Miss Marvels? None of her powers are Miss Marvels. <laughs> None of them. <laughs> we just need somebody to fill the role that's diverse. Yeah. According to our predisclosed uh, <laughs> generalizations of what diversity means. And also, by, by that yeah. we mean forced, <laughs> strong, and never struggling. <laughs> oh. And then. There are good examples. Um, I'm not going to just beat Marvel into the the ground with this, because they have done some that are good, if not a little kind of like, okay. Like, okay, we <laughs> so, get it. So instead of creating a new interesting character, you just went to one that already exists and tweaked them a little bit. Uh, the one I'm speaking of specifically is uh, Iceman from from the X-Men, where they, they made it so that he had been closeted homosexual this entire time, and they made a whole series about it. And it was actually done well, if you read it. Um, it was it, it, it was kind of a, an interesting take on something that really does happen to people in real life, where, you know, either their, their family is disapproving of that kind of life, usually for religious reasons or whatever else, or cultural reasons, and so they kind of hide it and try to force themselves into heterosexual relationships and then it doesn't work out and you know they just take it out on those they love and those around them because they can't they're fighting with their own identity and then eventually they come to accept it and then eventually they come out for whatever reason hopefully (laughs) yeah let's face it it's usually better once you come out if you are homosexual or any of the above because then you can actually represent 
yeah. yourself in an honest manner. It's like the uh, the point of family. Yeah, the point of the X Men is to just like don't hide who or what it is that you are. Yeah. So it it's kind of funny that even among the X Men who are constantly dealing with this issue, um, one of them comes out as homosexual and <laughs> I, I, has to address ooh, it that way. Ooh, I take issue with the um, uh, Iceman uh, in particular. <laughs> I, my only issue is that you couldn't, again, as we always say with you, you how, couldn't how bring you up a new diversity, character. You can make up a new character, and if you make up a new character, you don't have to allude that they are whatever. You don't have to call them Black Lightning or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't. You don't have to say it. His suit is blue. <laughs> I feel like you're like for a guy named Black Lightning. You are wearing a lot of blue and gold in this yeah. game. <laughs> so uh, there's ways to handle it. You can just make a new character. New powers, if if powers at all, make them interesting. Give them some kind of dynamic, a character struggle, something that they can grow with. Yeah, not that they just come out of the gate capable of everything and anything, and knowing everything and being able to pick up anything and do it right away without any issues. And yeah, yeah, guys, because that that creates uninteresting characters, as you were alluding to, and creates bad characters where all we can do is cringe. Not because you're trying to be more diverse, but because you're handling it in such a lazy manner. Uh, yeah, yeah, these characters need struggle. These characters need to lose. <laughs> I mean, Batman gets his ass kicked on a regular basis. Superman gets his ass kicked on a regular basis. Granted, his solution is usually to punch whatever it is harder. <laughs> but he gets his ass kicked from time to time. Nightwing is nothing but ass kicking. All, every cover you see with Nightwing is him drowning or being shot or stabbed or smashed or punched or... DC's always trying to kill him off, but the fans won't let him. <laughs> Hashtag DC hates Nightwing. <laughs> Spider-Man is always getting shit on, specifically Peter Parker. Oh, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, just... Peter Parker's life sucks. And then you go to a character like, you know, America, and you're just like, what? How are you instantly great at everything? <laughs> Nothing. None of this makes sense. What? What? What are you supposed to grow from? How, right. How, like, how are you supposed to develop as a human being, as a character? How? How are we supposed to sympathize with you? It's like uh, who and what are you? And it's it goes like you are not a hero. And it goes back to even what people usually criticize characters like Captain America or uh, Superman with, where. Everything just always works out for them because they're the good guy and they're <laughs> the true American and they got, you know, the great spirit or whatever. They're the Boy Scouts. They do everything right and honest and they never struggle with the morality of their actions. And then the best versions of them are where they do struggle with the morality of their actions, where they do have to see the world in layers of gray, where they do have, if not physical struggle, mental struggle, where they have um, emotional struggle, you know, where they do evolve as a character. Yeah, um, like uh, the death of Superman. It's like this character who's never supposed to be able to die. Faces his own mortality in a very physical way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And with the Captain America. If you don't put a character up against, you know, the the risk of death, how about you put them up against the risk of them maybe losing everything they thought they believed in? Mm-hmm. I.e., 
making him the nomad. I mean, even for, um, you know, like the typical struggle of a comic book character, do I keep my secret identity secret, even though it may inhibit my relationships with other people and workers and, you know, all these other things, whether it's Batman, Superman, you know, Spider-Man, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> or do I reveal it and risk the lives of the people I love where villains might try to exploit their knowledge of me as a public figure and like Iron Man. Yeah. And attack my friend, family and friends attack me in my home while I'm sleeping, you know, all these other things. Yeah. Um, even that is a dynamic struggle that I feel like a lot of these new characters don't have. They just like <laughs> walk around willy nilly. You know, hey, I'm the whatever. Like, Hey, look at me. I'm a, I'm a new hero. Yeah. It's like, you're not even hiding your face, you fuck. I mean, all Clark <laughs> Kent does is wear glasses and a suit. <laughs> uh, it's I, like, I, I feel like he, he you managed, could at least make the effort. <laughs> yeah, it's like he managed to not just have glasses and a hat occasionally, but he, he managed to change his entire personality. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he, he was like the clumsy. Kind of oafish, like uh, he he was the klutz. Yeah, <laughs> like he was the klutz who was never going to succeed. In uh, his secret identity is Superman, the most unstoppable force DC has ever produced. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I totally agree with you there. If, yeah, if there is no character development, if there's no struggle, if there's no reflection. <laughs> right uh, about anything about your own character it's probably a bad character yeah uh, even even villains have to dwell <laughs> on their own struggles and origins and stuff you know like yeah <laughs> if we can have these like throw in shoe in villains have more character development <laughs> than your you know line leading character your new diverse character or whatever it's it's just silly to me, you know. Yeah, uh, there's actually uh, to counterpoint what we're talking here. Uh, you just mentioned having a villain have more backstory or struggle or introspection, like instantly making them a better better character. In Marvel's very own Ultimate Universe that they destroyed, throwaway villain the Shocker. Manages to, over the course of three <laughs> issues, three, <laughs> nailed it, nailed it, uh, suck the landing, um, is either three or two issues. This, like, gave him a more interesting backstory than most of the new diverse characters that they've put out. Mm-hmm. And by uh, new and interesting, uh, they made... That version of the Shocker, a disenfranchised former MIT student (laughs) who created his own Shockers and decided to... College kid. Yeah. Shocking people. Yeah. With the Shocker. Not surprised. he, He decided to make the world pay for not recognizing who he is. He... This was a guy who could have been a scientific wunderkind, but instead was just kind of, like, shoot off. And, like, the one big break that he had, uh, the partner that he had 
you know, undertaken probably starting a new business, uh, stole all of his tech ideas and uh, basically had those, uh, what's the word? Uh, patented. Yeah, he, he had those patented under his name as, as opposed to the, the shocker himself. Mm-hmm. And from that, it was like he snapped. <laughs> like in those two issues that explore that story of this guy that Spider-Man repeatedly puts in jail and somehow gets back out like maybe a couple weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, that character is already infinitely more interesting than America. <laughs> a character who's like six issues in nowadays, I think, with like her own solo series. Yeah, uh, issue eight. I issue eight? I think there's a new one this week. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's been going. I would actually read something starring the shocker if they went with that <laughs> that character arc yeah and uh, dc hasn't been a whole lot better uh with it i mean even even with uh, the reboot they did with barbara gordon as batgirl um, oh it hurts happened after uh uh gail simone Mm. Uh, Gail Simone wrote an awesome version of Batgirl for the new 52 reboot and um, really added a lot of depth to her. It gave her kind of a cool family family dynamic with her uh, brother and her father and uh, even her mother to an extent. Uh, and even her relationships with Dick and, um, you know, the Bat family in general. And they just, they made her the cunning, super intellect that she has always been uh made her her cool a very cool dynamic character that did have internal struggle as well as exter- external struggle and then when they did this reboot with the the new you know kind of cartoony art with uh Stuart writing and they made it tried to make it more hip and cool and i i personally i feel like they were trying to marvelize her um yeah she became this kind of like loose college girl in the suburbs like (laughs) with never really having any issues taking down her villains if you could call them that right um including their transgender villain that they got crucified for because apparently if you're gonna make diverse characters (laughs) they can't be villains villains. (laughs) (laughs) they can only Um, fight whites so yeah (laughs) um they can only fight <laughs> that hurts cisgendered whites uh, who are mainstream religions or whatever. Right. Uh, otherwise, you're <laughs> exploiting diversity instead of celebrating it. So, God damn um, it. <laughs> in addition to that snafu they made with in their efforts to pat themselves on the back, um, uh, <laughs> It was also just a bad run. They made Barbara into this kind of ditzy, kind of nobody college girl running around in like a leather jacket and leather pants and taking selfies and just That's all these things so that dumb. that don't represent Barbara Gordon, that don't represent a woman that has gone through a traumatic spinal injury and a traumatic, um, you know... Uh, <laughs> Uh, torture at the hands of the Joker right. that was exploited to torture her father who had raised her as a single parent when her mother abandoned her family 
and has constantly dealt with the dark underworld of Gotham City. Yeah. Um, like this is this is a woman who has not had a lot of bright spots in her life, you know. Her brother is a fucking serial killer. Like <laughs> she, there is a lot of shit in her life that gives her that kind of really unique and cool dynamic that makes her into a character that would want to be a Batgirl, that would want to be on the streets fighting this stuff. Yeah. Um, so her dad doesn't have to. <laughs> um, it, it, she was a very cool, dynamic, and interesting character under Gail Simone. And when they did this new soft reboot and gave her a bright purple, yellow outfit that didn't functionally make a whole lot of sense um and made her into this kind of soap opery kind of teen dream woman even though she's getting her graduate degree yeah <laughs> um, what the shit nothing about this makes sense she's acting like a 13 year old child <laughs> after dealing with all these issues we've just described and fighting crime in the <laughs> suburbs um <laughs> It's just, there's so many levels of just laziness and just kind of cashing out in this character. Whereas before, the art was incredible. The story writing was incredible. Um, They just did awesome things with Barbara Gordon that had not really been done to that extent before. It had been talked about, it had been done in the pre-New 52 before she had her injuries and stuff, but... This was the final, the first time that I'd seen Barbara Gordon celebrated as a cool, independent, dynamic female character. Granted, again, kind of bouncing off the Batman mantle, right? Um, instead of being an independent character, but she's been around for so long. What are you gonna do, right? Um, but they made her interesting. They made her a great character, and then they stripped it from her. And I, I feel like that was the greatest travesty of it all. Oh, they yeah. Stripped what made Barbara Gordon great. Um, from her in order to kind of make it more PR friendly, I guess. I don't know. Um, Maybe sales reflected that, but I thought it was selling pretty darn good because it lasted that entire New 52 run, and a lot of of comics didn't. Yeah. Even Nightwing didn't last that long because Jeff Johns wants to kill him (laughs) all the time. So, yeah, I don't know who wasn't buying Batgirl, but I love the Batgirl run, and they just willy-nilly, like, eh. We'll, <laughs> we'll strip her of everything that made her interesting. And like, what are girls like today? Let's yeah. let's not focus on the bed. Let's focus on the girl yeah. part. And they went to the, the most stereotypical things that you would imagine from a suburban <laughs> college girl. And not even the college girl, but like a, a high school girl. And <laughs> made that into Barbara Gordon. And that is not oh. what Barbara Gordon is. And I really, really did not, not like it. Not even a little bit. Um, maybe they've changed it a little bit, but from what I've seen, it hasn't changed too much. So It just hurts. Um, yeah, I think that's totally valid what you're saying. Um, anything else? Um, trying to think of what else. I mean, bad artwork. Ca- it, it's, ba- bad it, artwork. It doesn't make you a bad character, but it can certainly... It, it can certainly turn a, a reader off. Yeah, it can... Uh, Nightwing, the new order. I'm kind of looking at you <laughs> with your mullet. The artwork is good. It's really well drawn. It's like the artwork makes sense. It's just that it's, would you please change his hair? He's, yeah, he's got kind of the I don't know the <laughs> the Russell hair or something. Yeah, he's got '80s Kurt Russell hair. 
Um, uh, I mean, bad villains. If you got bad villains, it's really hard to make you an interesting character unless the character's origin itself is good. Right. <laughs> um, um, in relation to our great character talk. Um, I mean, really, any any kind of character that just feels lazy. Uh, yeah. I, I keep hitting on this, but if your character is just another branch off of a bigger character it's not a new character it's it, not a unique character it, it's, it's like that's a big Im- reason i hate batman inc so much it's immediately points off yeah for me it's like oh we have the night bats in england and we have the <sighs> japanese kind of speed racer looking <laughs> fucking cyberman batman it. and then we got the native american running with the fucking buffalo batman <laughs> I don't know how any of this got through to publishing because it's just so stupid. And it was the main continuity. It wasn't even an else world. It was the main continuity. The thing that chapped my ass about that is like, this is what these writers think that these regions deserve. Yeah. It's like, everyone gets a Batman. Yeah. You out in the reservations who can't afford to really, you know have gadgets and shit uh we're, we're just gonna give you a costume and, have a horse yeah have a horse uh, the, the fight crime uh, yeah, the, japan we're really gonna do batman like just bat related shit in japan yeah it's just so ridiculous because like again all these characters could be unique characters right nope they're bat something or other <laughs> Uh, And Batman is probably the most egregious of all of these characters for having just spinoffs of his own character. And they're all some various forms of carbon copies of the character, at least artistically, if not. The thing that chaps my ass about the Batman Incorporated is that, according to the story... It was Batman's idea. Yeah, which is not <laughs> Batman at all. No! Batman wants his family as tight and close as possible. Right. I it's feel like... like if he could, he would kill a few more of the characters <laughs> just so there would be less people to worry about. Uh, probably. Uh, but, and... uh, yeah, it, his concern is Gotham. Uh, <laughs> his I'm... concern is Gotham. I feel that like is it. If Batman had it his own way, it would be... Batman and Alfred and nothing else. <laughs> uh, all these other kids. F- fuck, man. Uh, what, what was I thinking? You have the original these? Robin, which came about originally as a way of getting more kids into the comics and eventually did Grayson became Nightwing, became his own character. That That's cool. <laughs> I yeah. mean, most comic characters are going to have one partner or one sidekick or something at some point. Right. But now we have Nightwing. We have <laughs> Red Hood. We have... Red, uh, Robin. Red Robin. We have regular Robin. We have <laughs> Stephanie Brown. We have Huntress. We have uh, Batgirl. We have Batwoman. Well, several Batgirls, I should say. <laughs> right. We have the Ninja Batgirl and then the regular Batgirl. We uh, we, we have Batwing, who's the African counterpart. <laughs> uh, we have all of Batman Inc., which is just ridiculous. Um, it hurts. Uh, we. <laughs> There's just so much exploitation of this one brand to try to make new diverse characters. Uh, even Catwoman, to an extent, is just another bad character. Oh. Um, 
is like, what if Batman were a girl and on the other side of the law? Yeah, and poor instead of rich. <laughs> it's just like, let's flip that in- entire character, but keep the at in there. What yeah. rhymes with Batman? Cat. <laughs> Cat woman. So Batman is obviously the most egregious of these. Uh, Superman is definitely getting there. You, you have Superman proper. You have these other Superman. You have the all-world Supermans that are in the same universe now. And you have uh, Power Girl, who's just Supergirl. And now you have Superwoman, who's getting canceled, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you have, oh, yeah. You got his son. Uh, you have... Um, Superboy, who's the clone. <laughs> uh, there's just super everything. Um, and I feel for the last son of Krypton, there sure are a hell of a lot of fucking Kryptonians <laughs> around. Um, <laughs> just uh, so much ex- exploitation. And now Iron Man has several different iron things around, including the uh-huh. one we discussed earlier. Um, the worst. Iron Heart is the worst. We have Falcon becoming Captain America on several occasions. He he we did that, but Wolverine now... and then little she Wolverine <laughs> and Dokken. and uh, uh, alternate universe blonde son Wolverine. Yeah, and old man Logan. Who old was, old who man was, Logan. That's how you know you're getting lazy <laughs> when you're in the same universe and you use an older version of the same character at, in the same timeline. <laughs> To make more books and sell more books. That's when you know you've gotten really fucking lazy. (laughs) And guess what? Regular Wolverine's coming back. Yeah, so you're going to have the X-23 Wolverine, who is just she-Wolverine. Yeah. You're going to have the traditional Wolverine. (laughs) You're going to have Old Man Logan Wolverine. Uh, I'm sure Dokken will make an appearance at some point and be back. Dokken's going to come back. Uh, it's just... <laughs> Jimmy Hudson from it, the Ultimate Universe. It's it's just so lazy. Spider-Man does this. You got Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. And you got uh, Silk. Silk. You have Scarlet Spider. Who's uh, <laughs> there There have been two Scarlet Spiders. Yeah. One of... Uh, they were both clones. God damn it. <laughs> 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 okay. One of them was... Uh, Ben Riley, uh, the my favorite Scarlet Spider because like I liked his costume, which mm-hmm. was all red but with like a blue vest. And then there was Kane, the other Spider clone, who also wore all red, but it, it was weirdly like a flip of uh, Miles Morales's costume, where instead of it being all black with some red up here, it was all red with some black up here. Yeah. And I I just feel like when you, the writers are lazy like this, I understand why they do it. Because when you add that bat or that super or that iron or that spider to the name, you instantly make that character more marketable. It's like you oh, instantly add a few bucks to those. That's first, a bad character. To those first few issues, yeah. But in the end. All you're doing is diminishing the value of the main character. You're diminishing the value of not only the the character you've just created in a very kind of lazy, ununique context, but you're also taking away from what makes the main character Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Wolverine, uh, you name it unique themselves yeah because now there's not just one there's seven that are doing the exact same fucking thing just that they're 
you know, a different race or they're a different sex or they're younger or they're older or, you know, <laughs> they're a different religion. Green Lanterns, you know, why do we need six or seven Green Lanterns from the same fucking planet <laughs> when you're supposed to be in charge of one sector? <laughs> <laughs> right. That, because that, diversity. Because diversity. Uh, it's like, not just that. It's like, we picked across the rest of the universe, we picked one person for an entire sector yeah. of the universe. And this one planet, this one planet with nothing but humans on it that that would, you know, be able to do anything with this damn ring. Yeah. Six of them. Yeah. Six of these assholes. Now, it's one thing if it's supposed to be like an Elseworld story, and this is just the context for that Elseworld. For example, we had, uh, I want to say it was World 2, was Earth two? Earth two, Earth two, and New Fifty Two run where they had uh, Green Lantern, who was Alan Scott, uh, who was homosexual, and that was cool. That was fine. It made sense. It was Elseworld comic. It made sense for this universe. Yeah, there weren't other. There weren't seven other Green Lanterns competing with them. There was just the one. <laughs> there weren't several uh, other Alan Scotts also yeah. in the same world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had diversity where you wanted it where it was appropriate for the story and it added depth to his character. He had a personal struggle. He had somebody, he had a life that we saw on the human side as well as the superhero side. And it made sense. And it made for a really great run in earth too. Um, another example I can think of is, uh, Grant Morrison's Morrison world or whatever they were calling it, where they had just a random one shot issues here and there. Uh, I think it was Morrison. I might be wrong. Uh, I might look it up. I'll show you a picture of it. Um, where he just had a bunch of different Elseworld stories that were leading up to the Convergence event or whatever. None right. of them really directly tied into Convergence, but they were like just the other examples of worlds that were out there. And you had, I mean, you had a fucking rabbit Superman in one of them. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you Brilliant. want with the mantle. As long as it's not represented as the primary continuity. Right. Because in the primary continuity, you know, they had a black version of Superman. They had the Red Sun Superman. They had the rabbit (laughs) who was fucking (laughs) Superman. It's cool because it makes sense in the context of the world and the story they're making. But when you do all of these characters that are just carbon copies and different skins, essentially, of the same character... Uh, and just exploiting that name or that symbol in order to sell comic books, then you take away the unique identity of those superheroes and of those characters, and that's what kind of sucks about it. It's not just that we get kind of inferior stories so that they can make an extra buck or two. Um, It's that we, we lose those values that make the original character that we love so much uh lesson it's just, it, it just it, it hurts in a way that it sh- it shouldn't hurt for a fictional character but it does right when you're a dedicated fan of anything when that character's uniqueness gets taken away from them so that they can exploit the mantle to <laughs> in order sell to you sell and your products yeah, yeah it just... that's it, it leaves kind of a sick feeling in your stomach and that's Again, Batman is probably the most obvious example, but it, it's all over comic books. And uh, yeah, it, it it's unfortunate, but things like that, coming back to the original point, can make a character terrible. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to pile on there? 
Um, I think that it's going to be it for me as far as what I can think of. Did you have any ideas as to... Nothing that wouldn't lead to a half-hour rant about something <laughs> I've already said <laughs> and lead to me repeating myself over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's frustrating for our audience. I apologize. Like I said. I have very particular tastes, and <laughs> sometimes uh, I just got to let it out. Yeah. Like, my, my tastes are a bit more loose, but uh, don't you ever give me a character like Riri Williams. I swear to God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> So, on to my topic. Uh, hopefully, it's a little bit uh, softer, but no less judgmental on my part. Um, I want to talk, talk about, in reflection to those record sales of New York City Comic Con, what is the true home of comic books? Um, ah. Just to go over a few of the companies... Um, <clears throat> DC Comics is probably the most notorious uh, because they moved not only their movie production, but their entire production from its lifelong hold in uh, New York City to, uh, was it Berkeley, California, I want to say? Just outside of LA? Burbank, not Berkeley. Uh, Burbank, California. And moved everything else close to hollywood essentially where their wb studios are where they're making their movies and makes sense it really was like a dagger to everybody's heart and i like even marvel posted a little picture of like crying rocket you know <laughs> it's sad to see him go because they had shared the same building i'm pretty sure the empire state building yeah this, um, this like they, they were like a landmark and obviously several of the characters uh, exist in cities that are pseudo-New York cities. Uh, yeah. Gotham is like the dark side of New York City. Metropolis is like the Manhattan of New York City, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Even in BVS, a terrible setting for <laughs> how they made Gotham and Metropolis right next to each other. But they're essentially, <laughs> in that movie, separate boroughs. There's essentially like a Brooklyn or the Bronx and Manhattan. Yeah. Um, which is exactly how it feels when you're in New York City. And uh, now that DC has moved to California, you're noticing a lot of these changes taking place where things are becoming more and more like reflective of kind of, uh, I, would, I don't want to say progressive mentality because it's kind of <laughs> the opposite of that in a kind of cruel context. But um, yeah, you're seeing things go into a much more like kind of cartoony you know goofy laissez-faire whatever goofy context where things don't really make sense and everybody's living in these <laughs> weird multi-mansion apartments and just yeah you know, even the poor ones don't really seem poor or <laughs> before like the gotham city actually looked like a gothic setting and now it just kind of looks like a shady beach <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you're, the, you're mm. seeing how even the artists are being influenced by this uh and the thing that really started this was um uh, Marvel Studios, not Marvel proper, which is still headquartered in New York, but Marvel Studios moving to California to be closer to the Disney Studios production. Right. So um, <clears throat> while Marvel's movies are a hundred percent seeing this uh, <laughs> represented in their comic or in their movies, uh, that's kind of also kind of bleeding into their comics, and uh, you're seeing a lot of this California influence and. I don't think people understand that California is a very, specifically Southern California, is a very unique place. 
is that is not like anywhere else in the country, let alone uh, the world. Right. Uh, it's an oasis in the middle of the desert that has been artificially created and <laughs> runs and is fed and is watered by outside sources <laughs> so that these wealthy people who <laughs> don't really have struggles outside of, you know, the kind of worst parts of L.A., but especially not in the suburbs like Burbank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? God. Um, you really have these areas that are just kind of artificial, and you're seeing that represented both in DC Comics and Marvel Comics, where you're just seeing these kind of artificial, kind of laissez-faire, happy characters that never seem to have, like, any, any kind issue of issues. Or struggle. Yeah. Um, whereas in New York City, which is, I, th- I think, more... Uh, representative of every other city in you know the continental united states you know yeah where you do have the good parts you have the bad parts uh you have the the really rich and you have the really poor and you have everybody in the middle and you know you have blue collar you have white collar living literally door to door next to each other in these mm-hmm. contexts and it makes for more interesting and more believable stories as opposed to the kind of california spread out <laughs> beautiful scenic areas everybody's got perfectly coiffed dyed hair <laughs> and unique like hippie styles and like <laughs> nose piercings and everything you know Whereas New York City, this stuff exists, but you have a little bit of everything, and it's just... uh, Right. Like, in... That's the thing that kind of kills me about that whole thing, is, like, California, specifically Southern California, is, like, a very niche setting. Uh, Like, this would be, like... um, What am I thinking? Okay, say you're you're trying to order a coffee. Uh, normally, there are only like just a, a few different options at uh, most places. Yeah, um, this would be like going from getting like regular coffee to having a coffee that has uh, creamer, sugar, foam, uh, different kinds of like extracts, uh, raw cane sugar. And uh, we're, we're just going to throw in some weird syrups mm-hmm. in there. Maybe some dyes. Yeah. yeah it's like, th- this is... This thing that everyone probably wants to go to for a vacation, and if you're rich, just live there all the time, Yeah, is not reflective of the rest of America. It, it's not. Yeah, and I I feel like comics are the ultimate reflection of America because, let's face it, comic books are at home in America. I mean, they got their primary footing in America. They got uh, most of their readership from sending free comics to the war front during World War II and giving soldiers something to do uh, when they had a moment to rest, you know? Yeah, the start Um, of American comics was during the time when America was having the most struggle. Um, I feel like with this Southern California uh, mantra, Southern California has a very unique identity. It has a very unique culture and style and uh, influence on the rest of American culture. But I feel like so much of Southern California's influence is artificial, not only 
kind of culturally, but also kind of uh, physically. Uh, it, it, they literally import everything, <laughs> they, <laughs> except maybe wine. <laughs> um, uh, they oh. Southern California, you know, with the ex- exception of kind of the Hispanic uh, slash Latino ancestry there um yeah really is primarily built on recent transplants in the past 50 60 70 years um for those familiar with the history of california specifically southern california um you know the 49ers in 1849 went to the gold rush in the northern parts of california but not so much in the southern parts there really wasn't much there beyond you know some native american groups and some people of spanish heritage and that that was pretty much it and yeah beyond that there most of the culture in california is just a hodgepodge weird processing (laughs) of (laughs) the parts that they picked out from every other part of the country. They went out there to try to be an actor or an actress or work in production or work in, you know, some kind of industry yeah, that is reflective of Southern California. Yeah, some uh, venue of entertainment whereas usually. New York City is much more of the classic American city where you have all these influences that came from several waves of immigration from other countries, from uh, Germany, Ireland, Italy, uh, China, <laughs> you, know, you name it. Yeah. Uh, Vietnam, Korea, the Middle East, uh, Russia, you know, Africa, obviously, uh, transplanted slaves from the South. Like, you have all these different unique cultures that made it a unique identity and that gave it what we typically see as American, as the true kind of melting pot society. And you don't have that with Southern California. Southern California, you have more of the kind of, you know, (laughs) kind of artificial, kind of forced, uh, (laughs) kind of laid back hippie kind of. It's uh, like a a forced homogeny. Yeah. Yeah. Like in. That kind of is devoid of its own. I don't know, kind of legacy that is reflected by the rest of American society and by the rest of comic society, I would say. Right. I I think if they were to take their entire company over to somewhere that uh, might give them some ideas for, you know, where we could maybe look to the real world for some kind of struggle as opposed to creating characters, it's just like, oh, I'm just good. I'm just good yeah. at all of these things. I mean, we we, uh, we talked about this in our Spider-Man Homecoming review, where was, I, at least I, found it a big issue that this guy who said he couldn't finance <laughs> his company or pay his employees was living in a multi-million dollar mansion in the suburbs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very architecturally modern and uh, artsy-fartsy <laughs> <laughs> design that, you know, clearly he has some equity in. <laughs> clearly, he's not like, he's you, not doing too bad. Um, he could sell your house for a smaller house. And I think... And also maybe your retirement. That's <laughs> a reflection of not only the kind of Hollywood perspective where <laughs> they don't know what poor is. Yeah. Uh, but also reflective of that kind of Southern California architecture (laughs) you know that house did not look like it was in the suburbs of new york it looked like a house that you would see on a beachfront property (laughs) in southern california oh yeah Um, yeah this like if that was in new york that was in like upstate 
like in the middle of nowhere on purpose uh, new york yeah. i mean not even because then they would have to have at least a slanted roof to keep the snow off you know <laughs> that looked like you know a flat top square box that you would see on the beach oh yeah <laughs> and uh oh. southern california yeah and, and that's just like one of the subtle things i was like okay eye rolling i get it you hollywood producers don't understand right uh, what is culturally the norm outside of southern california i get it yeah but moving the headquarters of one of the most iconic comic industries down there in addition to marvel studios moving there a few years earlier was was just kind of like a stab in the heart to me <laughs> not only because i always wanted to tour it i, I literally right. lived there for two years and didn't <laughs> tour it uh big mistake on my part but um, uh, yeah it just takes away from that on. and just to run through where all the comic companies are uh at least the the primary ones i'm probably forgetting one or two but uh image comics which was founded in 1992, is currently headquartered in Portland, Oregon, which is, well, a little bit (laughs) hippy-dippy. Only a little. a very, very, you know, (laughs) down-to-earth kind of town where uh, I imagine the average income is not that great. uh, Right. uh, Where (laughs) they do live in a very beautiful natural environment, granted with gray skies (laughs) every day. Yeah. Yeah. Boom Studios, which was founded in 2005, is located in L.A., um, no doubt, because of Hollywood influence. Of course. Uh, and you see a lot of crossover between DC and Boom now, um, yeah. specifically with artists. Uh, IDW Publishing, uh, don't have a found date for it, uh, but it's headquartered in San Diego, California, again, Southern California. Um, Dark Horse is pretty close to uh, Image. It was founded in 1986 and is in Milwaukee, Oregon. Uh, Valiant is still in New York City. Keep fighting, although I wish you would quit releasing so many variants. (laughs) Uh, Marvel Studios is obviously in California, but Marvel proper is in New York City. DC just moved to uh, Burbank, California. So that's that's those are the main ones. Um, Obviously, you could also make an argument, you know, really beyond those more recent, like really recent companies. None of them were founded in Southern California. Uh, at least the modern interpretations of them. A lot of the smaller comic companies that um, DC and Marvel ended up devouring, like Star Spangled Comics and uh, 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 Action Comics. um, Vertigo. Vertigo. uh, All these other companies, uh, not all of them, but a, a good portion of them came from the Midwest. Uh, specifically Ohio. Uh, ah. uh, many people know Superman was created by uh, Jewish writers in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, yeah, the and there's Siegel also been, and Schuster. Yeah, and there's and that I, I'm I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Action Comics comes from Ohio. Um, there's several different comic companies that were represented heavily in the Midwest, in Chicago, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Um, even Detroit to a lesser extent. Um, 
And then you have New York proper, which is where the big companies kind of got their foothold and stayed and ended up through acquisitions, stabilizing themselves and becoming big companies. Um, uh, I'd say you, you can make a, an argument for these Midwestern cities, but I think most people, if you asked where is the mecca for comic books, most people would say New York City. Now, there's great foreign comics out there if you want to include manga <laughs> and the mantra of comics. Uh, for this context, I probably wouldn't. But if you wanted to include manga, you could make something of a an argument for parts of Japan. Um, you can, If you want to put Miller World in there, you can include the UK. Um, <laughs> but I think most people would probably say the epicenter of comic books and the traditional home and what should be the home specifically for companies like DC and Marvel um, is New York city because New York city gives you so much to work from so much inspiration that isn't from these kind of contrived artificial recent (laughs) cultures that don't really reflect the rest of the country or the world. Yeah. Yeah, that just made me think of uh, one of the uh, comic book titles that Marvel uh, ended up, uh, they had changed it, and it had so clearly reflected uh, the environment that they've begun to be more exposed to in Southern California. Uh, The latest iteration of Ghost Rider. This is uh, Robbie Reyes, uh, who, I shit you not, is a Hispanic street racer who gets shot to death by a bunch of paramilitary people when he's driven into a corner, and this is after he realizes that his car is full of some kind of drug. When I saw that, I was like, what? (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) It's like they did something interesting with the whole how he becomes a spirit of vengeance. Uh, Like instead of him making a deal with Satan, uh, he gets uh, basically charged by his uncle who happens to be a Satanist. Yeah. And uh, there's... There's very different influences <laughs> popping up throughout Marvel and DC now. Um, I think Marvel more because of the movie influence, which is based out of California. Yeah. And DC more out of direct influence because they moved everything there. Yeah. Uh, to Which is, to me, very disappointing. Um, not that, you know, it should be homogenous that, you know, every comic company needs to be in New York City or anything, <laughs> even remotely like that. Right. You know, you have Image and Dark Horse, both in Oregon. Um, I would love to see another major comic company pop up in the Midwest where a lot of these creations came from. Um, yeah. You got to think, again, a lot of these GIs, you know, I'm sure New York contributed a great many people during World War II, but a great many GIs came from the Midwest and these kind of corn-fed, you know, <laughs> country kids that had nothing else to really, you know, really <laughs> latch on to. Yeah. Uh, and then they brought these comics home with them and not only loved them, but, you know, uh, sent, shared them with the world and spread throughout the Midwest, which is why there's so many great comic shops throughout the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Uh, even the South has some great, 
Uh, if you look around uh, places like uh, Atlanta, Atlanta has some great comic venues. Um, uh, some in North Carolina that I know of that are pretty great comic venues. So comics have had a great influence not only on American culture but world culture. And when you, you place these headquarters and these primary artistic influences in the epicenter of an artificial kind of society... <laughs> Where everybody is more or less a transplant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like you create an unsympathetic world. You create an uninteresting world to an extent. Um, right. It it's uh, becomes somewhat unrelatable. And it, it kind of alienates a lot of your traditional base, which does come from these kind of midwestern southern uh northeastern coast uh right you know societies uh tri-state areas you know um and to a greater extent to you know the the cloudy <laughs> kind of industrial england and scotland and um uh you know kind of central europe northern europe um to a lesser extent i guess japan um Whereas California is just n- not representative of these cultures that traditionally consume comics. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's a wonderful place to live for the people <laughs> that are there. I'm sure that was a big reason they moved because you can be close to all these movie stars and see the beautiful beaches and <laughs> beautiful <Yeah>. people. And <laughs> but, l- l- um, let's go to the place where we think all of the dreams come true. Yeah, no one has to deal with the winter <laughs> depression setting in from the lack of vitamin D or anything. Right. Uh, but I think in the end it makes an inferior product for the majority of your consumers. Do, do you feel the same way? Uh, uh, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. Uh, uh from my own personal experience, um, like I had lived in California for some time, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, yeah, that 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 is a place that um, you would have to find a very particular city setting in order to replicate to properly replicate like the kind of influence that being in New York had given mm-hmm. DC comics. I would suggest maybe San Francisco only if you like station them on like the bad side. <laughs> you mean Oakland? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Like that, that would be my suggestion putting them over there. Uh, but uh, yeah, would... it, it should, it, is supposed to be New York City. Mm-hmm. Like, that is... I mean, it's the quintessential city. Whenever anyone thinks of a great metropolis, they think New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they think of Gotham, they think of, like, the bad parts of New York City. Yeah. Uh, the, like, it's kind I mean, of even the point with Marvel, of most of the books are based in New York City. Oh, you yeah. Know, Hell's Kitchen or... <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like Queens like, with Peter Parker. Like and... actually New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, there are good examples where they, they are still maintaining kind of the greater cultural identity of America, whereas the, the second to last Green Lantern... <laughs> Uh, Simon Baz is a Middle Eastern guy from Dearborn, Michigan, who got framed for uh, a terrorist attack, which is reflective of what's going on in the current culture. Yeah, it's reflective of what is the 
the, the culture in Dearborn, Michigan, where he worked for a car company. Yeah. Uh, he was Middle Eastern descent because Dearborn has the highest uh, number of uh, Middle Eastern descent people in the United States because Henry Ford uh, right. hired a bunch of Middle Eastern workers to come work in his factories. And, um, and he has all these different character conflicts that are reflective of his, you know, his family's ancestry and his family's culture and the struggles that he has in American society. He chooses to wear a mask not only to protect himself and his family, but because people have preconceived notions of, of like what a Middle Eastern person does. Yeah. You know, um, so that added a really cool character dynamic and represented a part of the country that doesn't really get represented as much in comics. You know, it's always either California or New York. <laughs> right. Uh, which is another criticism of having something based in New York. Uh, there's a lot of smaller comic companies popping up. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them are basically writers that do part-time work for Marvel and DC in California <laughs> and then they go and do their own thing on the side. Yeah. So a lot of it is and you know um <laughs> San Diego or whatever else. Um but I would love for comic meccas to start popping up again throughout the Midwest, throughout the South, throughout the central states. Like I would love to see something pop up in Philadelphia. I feel like Philadelphia has a really cool iconic history that would play a good inspiration to kind of uh oh yeah a, a comic culture um philadelphia or, philadelphia I, or pittsburgh i would say oh to play, that's pittsburgh <laughs> <laughs> i hate pittsburgh <laughs> oh yeah sports teams right um, <laughs> steelers versus Bengals. i i think columbus ohio would be a good one uh just because there's so many <laughs> yeah. comic shops here and columbus is on one of those cities that just exploded over the past 10 years oh yeah um, still growing while cleveland and cincinnati have kind of shrunk um i think uh chicago would always be a great city for that sort of uh idea st louis would be a cool city um uh, as i said atlanta is a great comic town uh north carolina has several great places um I, I haven't been out west too much, but I'm sure something like Denver would be a cool culture to inspire comics uh, in a cool environment. Uh, I'm just going to pitch this real quick. New Orleans. New Orleans? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you'd get much done, but <laughs> I feel like everybody would be drunk off their ass every day. But Yeah, New Orleans has such a cool, iconic culture, and obviously Gambit is <laughs> uh, Creole. Uh, so. Yeah, it, it, would, it would add something a bit new, a bit more spice. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd even like seeing, you know, like, I hate to say it, a Canadian company or two, you know? <laughs> Um, we could do with a Canadian company or two. Yeah, maybe uh, see something uh, from Toronto or yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, America Junior. You, you, <laughs> America you get a, Junior. You get you on it. Country's bigger than ours. <laughs> <laughs> we just have a lot more people. Uh, right. Um, it, they have this weird thing up there called like the Yukon Territory. It's all ice. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. Yeah. Um. But I. I I understand it's hard. You can't, it's not like DC is going to separate, you know, all right, Batman's in Brooklyn and we're going to have Superman and the Midwest and we're, <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously that's not going to happen. So if there are going to be more comic companies rising, you're going to need notable names working for them. Oh yeah. And most notable names don't want to take a risk too far from their headquarters. You know, right. It was a big risk for the people that worked, you know, like Jim Lee to go and help, co-found image comics 
Comics, you know? Yeah. He was notorious for working for Marvel and DC in New York City, you know? Obviously, he had gained enough notoriety and security <laughs> in his work. <laughs> it's like everyone, risk, yeah. everyone in the comic world knew Jim Lee, so he could do that. But um, <clears throat> there are local things trying to get their footing, and where I see him at uh, Laughing Ogre here in Columbus, Ohio all the time. Yeah. Uh, popping up, so that's cool to see. And hopefully some of them get footing and reckon... Recognition. recognition so mm-hmm. that they can actually gain a foothold and become another one of these big iconic uh, comic companies that we read in our new releases every week. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add to that? I think we covered all our bases. Uh, I think we covered it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get more in the Midwest, and there's no real reason why the comic part of a comic book company should be leaving New York City if you're already there. Yeah. And, and historically, uh, comics have come from writers and artists that were traditionally marginalized. Uh, a lot of the big iconic characters come from Jewish creators. Oh, yeah. Because they were a marginalized uh, you know, people that were pushed aside and had to deal with you know anti-Semitism throughout their lives. Not only in... Their countries of origin in Eastern Europe or Central Europe or whatever, but also in the United States, unfortunately. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. God, when they got over here, things were not good for them at first. Yeah. Uh, And there's plenty of cultures that reflect that today. Um, Yeah. I would love to see more people creating works like Simon Baz, uh, uh, where we reflect that a little bit, because that's where I think the best characters rise up, where you have the best kind of new influence yeah uh, from people that have been marginalized and know that stigma yeah like something into that writing something that like reflects something that's going on but still recognizes that this is a story about a hero yeah so um with that let's uh get into our cosplayer of the week and get out of here uh this week's cosplayer of the week is Dun, 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 dun. And we're again. <laughs> again. Uh, I'll wear something just to be festive. This is, I don't know if I'm going to trim this down or not. I probably will. I need to find something to stick this to my face. <laughs> this is part of my Nightwing or maybe Red Hood costume, depending on if I can <laughs> afford to do the full Nightwing thing. But uh, it, it, obviously, yeah. Emory has gone above and beyond with his uh, <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s style Gambit costume. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I love, by the way. <laughs> it's coming together very nicely. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, uh, th- this coming week, uh, y- you'll get to see the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, remember, if you'd like to be featured on our Cosplayer of the Week segment, you can submit your cosplay to our Twitter at HTBVids and on Facebook at forward slash hit the books. Please don't send other people's cosplay. Uh, yeah, whatever you do, please... Make sure you're sending your own work. Uh, with that, I, I would uh, be very grateful because then we don't <laughs> have to deal with angry folks saying, why did you use my image without permission? Uh, well, folks, that wraps up another mediocre edition of Hit the Books Podcast. Mediocre. Thank you all for sticking with us. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit like and subscribe down below and follow us on podcast services and social networks of your choosing. We're on Twitter at HTBVids. We're on Facebook at forward slash hit the books. You can also catch us on YouTube, Stitcher, and iTunes. Our website is htbvids.com. 
Again, that's htbviz.com up and running. I'm your host, Chris Holcomb. And I'm Emery Saunders. And thank you for watching. See you next week. Bye-bye.